All men, all men praise team, all men praise team. They say, they say women are the stronger sex. Turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians tonight, book of Colossians. In our last study of Colossians, we heard Paul give a full assault on those who were trying to deceive the church in Colossae. We listened very closely as we dissected the words Paul spoke to see if anything we heard, anything him, we heard him speak of over 2,000 years ago sounded familiar in our church or in our culture today. We came to realize that the same things Paul was speaking on had not only infiltrated some churches at that time in our times, but they have also been inserted today in everyday life from schools and colleges where God has been driven out. When we, when we came to realize where this is uh, and where it's happening, we came to realize where there's an absence of God, there's also an abundance of apostasies taking place, accepted and then celebrated as normal. Tonight we're going to continue to hear Paul's, <clears throat> Paul's attack on those who were deceiving the church in Colossae. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 11 of chapter 2. So let's look at verse 11. And Paul writes, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not done with hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through, through faith in the, work, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in the trespasses, <clears throat> and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forever us all, uh, forgave us all of our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt well, with, the, with all of its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it on the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. Therefore, <clears throat> now I'll, I'll tell you again later to do this, but y'all might want to underline this. Always pay attention to therefores. He says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to visionary realm and inflated without cause by his fleshly, fleshly mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from, from whom the whole body, nourished and, and, and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with the growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elemental forces of this world. Why do you live, live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed, what was destroyed by being used up. They are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting, an ascetic, by promoting ascetic practices, humility and severe, uh, severe treatment of the body. They are not of any value against fleshly indulgences. Let's pray. Father, we come to you 
asking forgiveness of our sins and where we fail you. Pray that you would be with us during this time as we study your word. You'd open our minds and help us to, to see what Paul is writing. Help us to obtain the wisdom from it. And Lord, help us to retain it that we might be greater servants for you. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all God's children said, Amen. <clears throat> Before we get into the message, we can pretty much puzzle, put a puzzle piece together as to what's taking place in the church of Colossae from what Paul has just told us. There's a group of people who've come in, they've tried to divide the believers, tried to stifle any new growth within the church by inserting things that that shouldn't be, okay? Now, this happens a lot. This happens in a lot of churches all over America, Christian churches all over America. This, This happens sometimes in Southern Baptist churches. We're not, we're not immune from this. But there's one way we can stop it. And that's the same way that Paul is trying to stop it in Colossae. What is Paul trying to tell them? The truth. The truth. When there's an absence of truth, you have an abundance of apostasy. In, every, in everywhere, in every facet, in every business, in, every or, in any organization that, that any of us belong to, when there's an absence of truth, there's an abundance of apostasy. And it takes place. So the truth needs to be the truth, the absolute truth, and nothing but the truth. And if we follow the truth, we cannot go wrong. Amen? <clears throat> All right. So what do we see in our scripture tonight? We see that in the, the first five verses verses 11 through 15, that Paul is telling those in Colossae, those believers, those Colossian believers, who they really are as believers and how they came to be such believers. Now, we all have a testimony. Every single one of us have a testimony of how we became who we are. A story of how we became Christians that may sound quite different at times. If five of us came up here and gave our, our testimony, we would all probably say, okay, well, I, I was saved at a different age. I, I was this age, and, and this person witnessed to me. And I guarantee you the, first, the, the person who witnessed to me is not the same person who witnessed to Gary or the same person that witnessed to Steve or Stan. I mean, we all have different testimonies at times, but... What takes place in our lives as we accept Christ as our Savior is very much the same. It's the way we identify with Christ himself, and it's, and it's the way we can identify as true believers with one another. Amen? And that's a good thing. Paul wants them to identify and remember who they were in Christ, and he also wants them to be able to identify and point out real believers. Because if they needed anything, they needed to be able to identify who the true church was, right? And, and we need to do that today as well. And I'm afraid it's going to get to a point where it, we're, we're going to need to do it even more and more. <clears throat> the first thing that took place in our lives as we accepted Christ as our personal Savior is, is that a circumcision took place. Now, I'm not talking about a circumcision that takes place with a male. Uh, I, I think our children were... Our boys were one or two days old. One. They were one. When the nurse came in, I'll, I'll never forget the first time. Oh, my. Desi's smiling. I'll never, I wasn't prepared for that. I knew because they told us we were having a boy that we were having a boy. But it never entered my mind. It never entered my mind. I'll never forget. I was working for Floyd S. Pike in Charlotte, North Carolina. I can take you to the exact neighborhood. I was running streetlights. Uh, I, I, I was, you know, 
that day when I got the call over my radio, you need to go to the hospital. The hospital wasn't but 30 minutes away. When Kyle was born, he was an ugly baby, y'all. <clears throat> she doesn't remember because she was drugged. Now, I mean, after his color came, he might have been pretty, but when, when Kyle Jr., and today is his birthday, huh? I'm just telling the truth, Angie. What did I just say about the truth a few seconds ago? When, when he was born, he, he was ugly. He really was. But then, you know, we cuddled him, and I, you know, he, he got a little more cute, I guess, during the night. <laughs> but that next day, the nurse came in, and she said, <clears throat> we need to take your son for his circumcision. Okay, right? And when he came back, and, and we had to change his diaper, I mean, it, 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 oh, it was devastating. It, it was devastating to see what we saw. I mean, it was just like, golly. Do you remember Miss Crawford? I mean, it was, it was, it was terrible. I'm not talking about that circumcision. It's not a terrible thing. What took place in our hearts, all of our hearts, when we accept Christ as our personal Savior, is, is he created or he, he performed a circumcision on our hearts. The things that, that we were once cold to, we were now receptive to. We, we understood. Now, we didn't understand all the complexities of the Bible. No, I mean, listen, there's, there's some people who have been Christians for 50, 60, 70 years who still don't understand the complexities. The, the circumcision doesn't do that. The indulgence or the, the, the willingness to, to seek out wisdom does that. But what Christ did is he grafted away the old you in your heart and created a new heart within you. You, you became sensitive to things that you weren't sensitive to in times past. And in times past, somebody could say something to you and it wouldn't bother you, but now it bothers you. You could, you, in times past, you could, you could hear a song, Steve, and you're just like, man, that's Christian stuff, and, and turn the channel. But now when you hear that same song, it rips your guts out, man. It makes you cry like a little girl. That is what took place in all of our hearts when we became Christians. Our heart was grafted away. The old heart was set aside, and God placed in us a new heart. And, and Paul wants us to identify that. He wants the people in Colossae to identify and remember that old heart heart. The second event Paul recalls to their memory is their baptism. Now our baptism should have looked the same. And as we consider what Paul's writing here tonight, we can see where baptism or the, the, the actual practice of baptism, these same people, not the same people, but the same type of people had inserted themselves into the church and, and, and made some changes. <clears throat> so we, we, do, we do not know the, the certain depths of deception that took place in the church of Colossae. But we do know at some point in time, baptism was manipulated in what some people called the church. Now, how, how do we know that it was manipulated? What Miss Desi say in history? Yeah? Now, <clears throat> how can we prove that point today? that it was the original form of baptism was manipulated. How many of y'all believe that it was manipulated? Okay, L let's do a test. How do we as Southern Baptists, how do we baptize? Fully immersed. Okay, that means that we, we take a person and, and we say, because you've accepted Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, I baptize you now, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jonathan, you remember? You remember? And I place them all the way under the water. And I pull them up out of the water. It's immersion. Pr predominantly, how do, how, how do Methodists? 
right. How do Catholics baptize babies? Yeah. Yeah. Where did that come from? But, but think, where, where did it come from? Because understand, we see the first baptism with John the Baptist. Now, we, we don't know how John baptized the how many people he baptized in the wilderness, but there is an account of one baptism very specifically. And whose baptism was that? Jesus. Scripture says when Jesus came up out of the water, that means that he was completely in the water. When he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit of God descended upon him, right? Is there any debate about that? Does anybody want to debate me on this scripture? If that is what we as Christians, the total Christian church, if that is who and how we are to identify with baptism, if that is what we are to emulate when we baptize others, then how did it get to be what it is in other denominations? And I'm sure there's some Southern Baptist somewhere in some hole somewhere in the United States that, that you know, they, they, they sprinkle. How, how did it happen? Some deceivers came in and said, oh, listen, guys, listen, we don't need to spend, you know, we don't need to fill that baptismal up with, with 200 gallons of water. I don't know how many we do. I mean, it's probably not that, but we don't need to do that. We don't need to go to that expense. Listen, we can just go get a jug of water at the dollar store and we can baptize 70,000 people. Right? He goes to a third point. We need to remember our baptism. Verse 13 through 14 tell us of a third commonality that all Christians should have. We, we should have a commonality in baptism. We should have a commonality with the, 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 the circumcised heart. Then we get to verse 13. Verse 13 tells us, it says this, And when you were dead in trespasses, <clears throat> and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you who? Now get that picture. Y everybody in here has seen a, a dead body, right? Right? He, he made who? You. M me. He made you alive in him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. Do, do you understand that? Church, listen. I was dead. I, I was dead. I did not have, and, and I wasn't like uh, stiff, my blood, it's not that. I, I was a walking dead man. I was a zombie. We all were before we accepted Christ as our personal Savior. We were walking around this world pointless, trying to fulfill the pleasures of this world, trying to fulfill what we thought the world owed us. But when Jesus saved us, he made us alive. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, I wasn't perfect when I, when I first accepted Christ in the mountains of North Carolina. I, I wasn't. I really wasn't. But he opened my heart, and I could feel him. I could sense him. I, I, I could respond to him. The, the Holy Spirit was drawing me in a way I, I never wanted to read the Bible. I never read the Bible. But once I accepted Christ as my personal Savior, I was drawn to the Bible. I was drawn to things, Miss Sue, that I was never drawn to before. I wanted to go to church. I didn't have to go to church. I wanted to go to church. I wanted to be with my church family. I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to sing the hymns. There, there were some songs that... In our first church, I say Amy's first church because she dragged me there. She made me go. Y'all, it, it was like a cycle. And I know y'all have to have a cycle. You do. But the, we sang hymns and then we sang, uh, the choir sang, but it was basically hymns. There were some hymns I was like, good night, have we gotten to that point again? I just didn't get it. But, but when all this took place, listen, those, those hymns sounded good to me. You know why? Because I can now understand why they were written. I could feel the emotion. And, it, and it's just like any song today. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, you know, I love hymns. I love traditional music. I, I love the new music. Everything that was new at one time, I mean, everything that was old now is at one time new. I, I love all music. I don't understand why people have music wars in church. I don't. Listen, because all of them celebrate the same Savior. They do. Well, I just don't like the bump, the bump. One of my former church members' daddy used to say that. He, I just can't stand the bump, the bump, the bump, the bump. I was like, tear, well, you've got to tear out the last five psalms in your Bible because that's all about the bump, the bump, the bump, the bump. I said, you know, it's, it's about, you know, praising God. Everything that's in us, now that it's alive, everything that's in us should want to praise God. You know why? Because we're not dead. We're alive. It, it amazes me, Stan. I, I'll sit in my office sometimes and I'll think about our praise team. Steve, think about, think about six years ago. It was just a thought. A thought. And look at what, what, what we have now. Colin, he couldn't, he couldn't, he quit basketball because he couldn't, he wasn't dribbling fast enough. And now he plays all these musical instruments. Look at Griffin. I mean, Griffin, you didn't even know what a guitar, you couldn't spell guitar back in the day. If your mom would have given you a spelling, then look at him now, he's playing guitar. Huh? He's a college graduate, Gary. You need to sit down. You can spell guitar, can't you? No, no I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, look, but think. Think how God has blessed us through music. It's amazing. Church, it's amazing. Paul then tells us that, that Jesus did one more thing that set the Christian movement to succeed. Okay? Y'all ready to see it? Look at verse 14. Let's say verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. What's he talking about there? You see, he set the motion. He set everything into motion. He, he came, he preached, he taught, he lived, he died. He opened the door to eternity. All we have to do is accept him. When we accept him, he grafts our heart. We, we identify with him in baptism to the world. He takes a dead person and makes them alive again. And the church is growing. But he didn't stop there. 
He disarmed those people who were agitators to the church at that time. Who, who was that? Who was that? Who was against them? The Pharisees, the, the, the Jews. At that time, he disarmed them so the church could grow. Now those same people are, and other groups are coming against the church now. But Paul wants them to realize, listen, what God has done before, you have to understand what he did, and you've got to stand up for what he did in times past. Now we see in verse 16, the very first word we see is therefore, and I told you to underline it. Church, we should pause right here for just a second because this therefore is here for a reason. Everything Paul has written this far in chapter 2 has, has been a time of reconciliation or, or a recollection, a time to remember what took place in our lives, what Jesus did for us and, and for us to, to make us his very own. And because of what he has done, because of what has taken place, and now we come to verse 16. Church, because of what has taken place in our lives, listen, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard of food and drink or in the matter of festival or new moon or Sabbath days. Because what have taken place, don't let them judge you. Well, if you don't let them judge you, what do you do? You stand up and you tell them what is right. Well, what is right? This is right. This is right. And I'm going I'm to come home on that a little, a little harder in a few minutes. We can't let people judge you. Why do you do so and so? Well, I, I'm following the Word of God. Well, why do you do so? Well, I'm following the Word of God. Not, not everybody can say that. Now, it really does not matter who these people were because Paul then tells the people what they should now embrace as Christians in verses 17 through 19. He says this, These are the shadows of what was to come. The substance is the Messiah. The Messiah. It's not traditions. It's not touching or untouching. or don't. It is the Messiah. The substance of all things is the Messiah. Let no one disqualify you because that's what they were trying to do, Angie Page. Oh, well, you, you, you don't say 16 Hail Marys. Well, you ain't a Christian. You, you, you don't walk, you know, when you walk in the door, you don't dip your hand in the water, just plain old tap water that's, you know, and, and do this right here. Well, you, you're not a Christian. No, he's, he's making it plain here. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to visionary realm and inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. He doesn't hold on to the nourished hand held together by its ligaments and tendons uh, that develops with the growth of God. We see this time and time and time again. That's why I tell you religion sends more people to hell than anything else. Who's right? Who's wrong? There are religions that will tell you that you have to do certain things or you are not a Christian. How do we stand up against that? How, how do we say you're wrong with Scripture? So many things that are in churches are there because somebody has brought it in and said, hey, you know, this is what we need to do. Why do you do it? Well, I, you know, we've always done it. Well, why scripturally? Well, I, you know, it, 
I, I don't know. Well, why would you do something that's not scriptural? That's when they really get upset, right? Paul then asks a question in verse 20 that will make anyone who hears or reads even today think about what they're doing in their spiritual lives. Why they do what they do. Believe what they believe or practice what they practice. This scripture is so relevant today because so many people who, who are in church are practicing things that are, that are man-made yet pushed as necessary to have a relationship with God. Look at verse 20. He says, if you died with Christ to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as if you still belonged to the world? Why? Why, why do you do this? Well, when Amy and I were in Mexico, we met a young couple and they started talking to us and asking questions and the, the girl asked me a question and the way I responded, she said, you're a preacher, aren't you? I said, yeah, yeah, I am. And she started asking me questions. She said, what do you think about infant baptism? I said, what do you think about infant baptism? She said, well, I, I was baptized when I was, was an infant and this, that, and the other. I said, did it do anything for you? She said, well, I'm searching, I'm looking. I said, but why were you baptized? She said, well, my, my parents thought that I needed, you know, I needed to be baptized. Why? Why did, why did they think that? She said, well, I guess they'd always done it. I said, is it scriptural? And she said, I don't know. And see, that's part of the problem, church. They don't know. Does that baffle you? And these were good people. They weren't, they weren't, I mean, they were good people. I said, there, there's nowhere in Scripture that says that you are to baptize an infant. You're to baptize a person after they accept Christ as their personal Savior. It's an outward experience of what took place inwardly in your life. You're just telling the world. And she started asking questions in different directions. And I, I mean, I kept pointing her back to the same thing. Is that scriptural? I don't know. I didn't ask her why she didn't know, but we all know why, right? How can we know the truth? We stay in the Word. We stay in the Word. Paul lists then, then lists prevalent traditions that were being preached to the church and in some cases accepted by the church in verses 21. And then tells the people what these traditions are really worth in the eyes of God in, the day, in that day and today as well. Look at verse 21. He says, If you died to Christ, to the elemental forces of this world, why do you still live as if you belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? <coughs> why? Why, why do you submit to regulations? But why do you do it? These regulations include don't handle, don't touch, don't, don't, don't taste. All these regulations, Paul says, refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are, they are human commands and doctrines. All those, these have, have, have a reputation of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices, humanity, and, and severe treatment to the body. They are not of any value against fleshly indulgences. What, what can we say here to summarize what we've read and what we've seen in our scripture?
tonight. The easiest one is this. Jesus is all we need. That's it. Jesus is all, all we need. Do, do you realize that this, this, uh, this very thought needs to be preached in Baptist colleges, Christian colleges, and Baptist theological seminaries? This very thought right here. Jesus is all we need. That needs to be preached in our seminaries. Well, why is that, Brother Kyle? Because we've got some jack legs who are coming in there and well, you know, you know, you know if, once you reach the, the elevated status that I have and you, you, your, your learning becomes as my learning, you'll understand, adapt, and confess the practices of Calvinism. Or you'll, 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 if you're not a Calvinist, then you're an Armenian. And I've, I've, when I was in school, I was asked that many times. Are you a Calvinist or are you an Armenian? The, the first time, Stan, I knew I wasn't a Calvinist because her granddaddy, I mean, he used to beat Calvinists upside the head with Scripture. I mean, I knew I wasn't a Calvinist. I mean, I'd looked at the tulip. Y'all look, look up, if y'all don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Calvinism tulip, and it just gives you a line, you know, a list of what Calvinism really is. I knew I wasn't a Calvinist. So the first time I was asked this question, Gary, am I a Calvinist or a, 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 an Armenian? I was like, I don't know. I'm not, I know I'm not a Calvinist, so I must be an Armenian. But then I started, oh, I need, to, I, need to, I need to study up on this thing. And the more I studied, the more I realized this. I'm neither. I, I'm, I'm what Paul calls, do not attach yourself with anything or anybody but Jesus. Why, why, why would you do that? Because Jesus is all we need. Do you realize that Jesus is all I need to identify myself with and to defend myself scripturally with? Jesus is all I need. And I'm serious. Listen, we, we have had some unbelievable preaching scholars. And, and as you're preaching, once you know what Calvinism is, you're, you can hear them inserting Calvinism into their, their, their sermons. And I'm like, you're a nut job. Well, why are you doing that? Church, we need to understand at every level, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how many degrees you have on the wall, or it doesn't matter if you didn't graduate from high school. This is, this is something you need to understand. Jesus is all you need. That's it. Number two, what can we take away from this scripture tonight? The Bible is the absolute authority on, on all matters. The absolute authority on all matters. There, there has never been a time, there's never been a question that somebody has asked me in the tw almost 20 years that I've been in ministry, Steve, it, it doesn't matter from, from youth to children to, to an 80-year-old man or a 90-year-old man, it doesn't matter. Every single question that somebody has asked me as I've been in ministry, I've been able to answer with the Bible. Did I know the answer every time? Well, Desi can tell you no. I didn't. But every question that I've ever been able to ask, I've ever been asked, I can find it in the Bible stand. Every single time. So number one, Jesus is all we need. Number two, the Bible is the absolute authority on all matters. Number three, when we see confusion either in the church or in the world, we need to know that we serve the God of, of order. Satan is the God in this world who stands for confusion. Take a look at what's happening in America. Is God allowing it? Oh, yeah. 
Y'all, y'all, y'all thumbed back through the church archive a few months ago when I stood in the pulpit uh, about, and preached a message about what was taking place in the world. Uh, and I referred to Jerry Vine's old sermon years ago. We, we are either getting ready to, to, to see unbelievable revival or God's getting ready to pour out his judgment on this world. And I'm afraid the second is coming before the first. We need revival. Well, how does revival taking place? Well, that's easy. Jesus is all we need, and the Bible's the absolute authority in all, all things. The fourth thing we can see tonight is this. We need to stay close to Jesus and centered in his word. We need to stay close to Jesus and centered in his word. Were these people that Paul was writing to in, in the Colossian church, in Colossae, were, were they Christians? Yeah. Yeah. Were they centered at that time and in, in perfect will with God? No. How can we know that? Because they're, they're falling for this. Many of them are falling for it. Now, that's why the preacher came and said, Paul, I need some help. You, you need to help me out. You need to write a letter. The real reason, the reason that this letter was written and then published in our Bibles today is that Christians are able to be fooled and manipulated sometimes easily. We are. We really are. Will you look at your lives and focus on Christ and the Word of God tonight? Let's all stand. Father, we thank you tonight for you and your Word. We thank you that you loved us so much that you didn't leave us in the blind. You gave us your Word, 66 love letters, a guidebook that we can use to guide our lives. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you would be with us right now. Lead, guide, and direct during this time of invitation. In Jesus' name I do pray. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, do you need to come?